Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, Steve, picture the scene. You are Cherie in this scenario. You've been doing God knows what in, in, the, in the bedroom. N- nothing implied there. You come through from the bedroom, you walk through the corridor, and you open the door to the living room. In the living room, there I'm sat. I'm sat at the, uh, at the sofa of the living room. The uh, back of my laptop, which is on my lap, is facing you, so you can't see what's on the screen. But all you can see is the look of childish glee on my face, the joy that a man gets when he's only really up to one activity. And, uh, and you say to me, Tim... What the fuck have I just caught you doing? And I say to you, Cherie, my love, it's not what it looks like. And then as Cherie, you storm across the room at me. You grab my laptop, spin it round, expecting to see pornography. But in fact, you see the Ducati team launch. As you can imagine, (laughs) Cherie thinks I'm a twat. And uh, she very quickly... Gave me back my computer and just left the room and I haven't spoke to her since. So um, <laughs> I, I was very much enjoying the Ducati team launch earlier. Um, I wasn't masturbating as implied, but um, <laughs> Cherie uh, did, did oh, think dear. I was, bless her. Uh, so that, that was fun. How's, how's your day been? <laughs> how's my day? What you're trying to say there is you quickly switched browsers. Ah, Steve, you uh, you saw straight through me. Luckily, Cherie did not see straight through me as easily as you did. So, yeah, that's me, Steve. Um, how are you doing? I, I'm doing okay. Probably not as well as happy as you were earlier when you got nearly caught <laughs> doing something you shouldn't. There, um, I, yeah. I will not either confirm nor deny I was up to what you think I was up to. I'm just going to stick with the story that I was watching the Ducati team launch, and there's nothing quite like Jack Miller in leather, is there? Oof. That, I, yeah, I was thinking that. Although Pecco looks good in his red leather. I think Pecco actually looks a lot better than Miller in red leather. I think Miller always has a bit of a belly. It doesn't matter how fit or how toned he is. As soon as you put Jack Miller in leathers, he just gets a belly out of nowhere. He just has this like Jorge Lorenzo beer belly up here. It's very strange, but um, it yes. It is. I've noticed that as well. That will be too many burgers on that barbie. That's exactly what it will be. Too much bar- burgers are good living. Yeah, yeah. But no, I've had a good day. We've had a bit of snow down here. We took the boys sledging, which was nice. Yeah, well, you've got quite a good bit of snow, haven't you? We have, actually. We never really get snow in this part of Norfolk. Like, we stick out. We jut out. If anyone Googles the UK, we jut out on the side. 
Um, so we really don't get any weather. We have to have like a good bit of Arctic wind come down, mm. and which is what we had. So it brought with it a lot of snowdrifts, a lot of blocked roads, a lot of cars stuck in the road, and some ample sledging opportunities. Um, so we partook in a bit of that earlier. Boys loved it. Brody, not so much. He doesn't really have that excited face yet. Being I was going to say, old. he's still a bit little, isn't he? He's probably just a bit confused as to this white cold stuff that's appeared out of nowhere. Yeah, I think he was more confused when I sat on the sledge and gave him a push. Um <laughs> To be fair, if I didn't know what was going on, actually, I've never really thought about this before. But if I, I'm looking at uh, my father as the person I trust most in this world, and he's taken me out in the cold, which I'm not very happy about anyway. It's a bit white and weird out here. And then he puts me on a plastic tea tray, essentially, and just throws me down a slope. I would be raging. (laughs) He was pretty raging. (laughs) Uh, I will send you the video. Um, (laughs) But we got off the stage at the bottom. I sort of turned to look at him. See his rosy red cheeks. And he just gives me that twat. Kind of look. <laughs> Not even a smile. <laughs> Not even a smile. No. Not even a smile. But no, we had a good day. Built the snowman, which is now wonky. Um, yeah, that's it, really. That's good stuff. I'm quite envious, man. Like I'm. Not as far north as you can get in the UK, but like pretty far north, all things considered. And um, we've just had nothing but like blue skies and bright sunshine. I'm I'm actually quite quite jealous of the amount of snow you guys have got. Yeah, we've got a first blow, and in fact, it's snowing right now. Um, so hopefully, everyone wake up to a bit more sledging tomorrow. Oh, that's a result. Happy days. Maybe Brody will be used to it this time. Oh. He's not going to be quite so shocked by the whole scenario. No, I'm leaving them two here. I'm going on my own. <laughs> Daddy wants to go this time. <laughs> That's it. You'll be going sledding. I'll be here pretending to watch the Ducati team launch. It's it's man time. That's what we call that, Steve. It is man time. That's what we have here. Bit man time. Oh, dear. Uh, right. Shall we uh, dive into the show anyway before we uh, start talking a bit too much about our man time, eh? Yeah, let's do that because we're going to get ourselves in trouble. (laughs) Sure, he's already going to listen to this intro and be like, what the fuck have you been saying about me? Right, anyway, let's go for it. I'm Tim, he's Steve, and this is For the Love of MotoGP. So it's been quite a good week, I think, in MotoGP news generally. There's been some pretty terrible things occurring, but in the grand scheme of of this season as a whole, we've had no race cancellations yet, uh, no new ones anyway this week, and we've had two whole livery launches from teams. It's been quite a good week, really, hasn't it? You know, every day I wake up and I'm I'm just waiting for that day we get told we're going to lose Qatar or mm. we've lost another round something's been postponed but no nothing and we're all of a sudden we're now getting the snippets of like real dangling carrots in front of us we're getting the bikes being unveiled um you know we saw the Aventia boys Ducati today and we've got a whole host this weekend I think we've got Suzuki um I forget when the Yamaha one is, but they're all is in the, the next week or, or something. They're all pretty soon, aren't they? I imagine over the next two weeks of shows, we will have covered all of the team launches, I think. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing sort of social media posts from like a lace. They're going to do the Aprilia. KTM uh, put out a really nice picture earlier um, of their bike just sort of backlit. Um, oh, I missed awesome. this. Did, could you see any details? 
No, really. Let me send it to you now. I will send you the picture. I'll have to send it to you on your phone, I do believe. Oh, I won't get that till after a recording then, but that's fine. We'll deal with that later. Um, oh. Um, and what did you think of the, the, the team launch liveries we've got so far? Um, uh, the Ducati one. I, I'm a mixed bag on this. Um, I was last year. Um, I prefer this one to last mm. year's livery. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm on the fence. I was last year. I am this year. It's, I don't know. I don't really know why it doesn't jump off the page at me. I never have done. It's just that thing. I just don't really find it that appealing, but I don't dislike it at the same time. So I think last year, I remember us saying actually at the time that um, when Ducati first came out with that, like the proper red rocket as it was, it looked great that mm. first year. And then the next yeah. year with it being solid red, it it kind of got a bit boring. It got very boring very quickly. And I was very quickly starting to miss the white, the, the like the red and white uh, of the earlier Ducatis. Because you got to yeah. think, we go back to, I don't know, 2014, 2015, maybe even 2016, there was a lot of mm. white on that bike. It wasn't just there red was, and black. Yeah. Um, and I, at the time, I remember saying to you uh, that I sort of really wanted to see just an old school red Ducati because I didn't like all the white. And then when we got the red Ducati, I'm already kind of a bit bored of it and I kind of want the white back again. Yeah, it's odd you should say that because on Instagram, Ducati did a poll the other day and had like from 2010 all their bikes up and asking everyone which one you prefer. And looking through them, um, I preferred the white as well. Yeah, um, and don't get me wrong, I actually think, I think the Ducati as a whole package this year, this the GP21, looks great. I think the aero looks amazing. I like kind oh, of the, the carbon checkerboard inside the aero, I think looks really cool. Mm. Um, and I like the fact that they've, and I'm sure they haven't ditched Mission Winnow. I'm sure they're still getting all that Marlborough money somewhere. Um, <laughs> but um, I like the fact that that dodgy Mission Winnow sponsor is no longer on the bike. And it's it's now the Lenovo sponsor. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think this, um, just the whole way the bike looks, looks better. Um, there are a few changes. Just looking at a, a picture of it now, there's some like aero changes, like you say, on the nose car and the seat unit's a little bit different. The swinging arm looks a bit different. Yeah, it's a very um, aggressive looking machine as well, isn't it? I think it looks nice. I think as a whole, I think the Ducati looks nice. And I don't want to be that dick that's like, well, it looks fast, but it does look angry. It looks like a quick machine. And I know that's a ridiculous thing to say for motorbike racing, because who really gives a flying fuck what it looks like? It really doesn't make that much difference. Um, um, but it does look nice. It does. I know exactly what you mean. It does look aggressive. Yeah. I think any... Any bike that's got like a pointy nose cone looks aggressive. I don't know why. Uh, but we've seen some in the past that are like quite bulbous, rounded front ends, um, quite squat to back. Yeah. And they just don't, they, they look a bit flumpy. A bit, a, a bit like you've, you know, you woke up the morning after a good sesh, you know, 10 pints and a curry later, and you feel a bit bloated. And yeah. you're not going to be that quick. <laughs> yeah. But these guys, this does look really, really good. Yeah. Um, it reminds me a lot, actually, looking at it now, straight up, of the old 916 Infrastrada Ducati livery back in World Superbikes. I um, honestly don't know what you're talking about, so uh, I'm just going to have to agree <laughs> with you on that one. <laughs> um, it's similar. It's just the, just the way it's sort of set up. It does look similar. Obviously, no aero. Um, 
Yeah, I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence with the livery. Okay, Ooh. I'm now looking at the uh, the 916. And this is an old school Ducati, isn't it? Um, if you find the Infostrada one, that is the original incarnation. Three-spoke back wheel. Ooh, a three-spoke back wheel. Is that what I'm looking for? I've got the five-spoke back wheels here. Infostrada. I'm pretty sure that's the 996. Uh, I've got a 916 with a five-spoke five wheel here. They all seem to have five spokes. That might just be the road bike then, I'm thinking of. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, I've got one here. It's a road-going bike, though. It's got headlights and a number plate, but it's got the three-spoke wheel. Oh, right. Yeah. Do, 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 I imagine that's look. heavy, isn't it? A three-spoke rear wheel. I imagine that's really, really heavy, which is why it's not on the race bikes. Uh, yeah, it might be. Might be why they changed it a little bit. Um, yeah, that is. I oh, know I've got one. You got one. Um, yeah. Right. Anyway, this isn't a good show <laughs> of just us looking at pictures of Ducatis, Steve. So um, let's move on to the other Ducati team, shall we? Uh, Avintia. We've obviously seen their team launch. Um, we did. Now, I actually think from what you've told me, I haven't given you my opinion on these bikes, and I think our opinions differ quite strongly about these. Really? Yeah, so I'm going to let you go first, because you've already told me your opinion, and then I'm going to fire mine out at you. Righty-ho. So what do you think about the the Avintia team bikes, Steve? I prefer Pecos. I think Pecos bike looks... uh, Not Pecos, um... Marini, sorry. Marini. I was going to say, I was like, Pecos? Yeah. I was like, fuck. I, I thought I had a different opinion, but I might be thinking of a different team altogether now. <laughs> <laughs> you put that, I, just, I wish we were recording that. I've never seen you put a can of beer down so quick. <laughs> Tim's face on the screen just went, what, fuck, what? Yeah, I was very confused for a moment, Steve. I didn't really know what was going on. Uh, no, sorry. The VR46 racing team bike of Luca Marini, I think, looks uh, insane. It looks amazing. Um, I still like Peco's Avintia sponsored um, Ducati as well. I actually think that Avintia bike looks better liveried than the um, factory UK. Okay, and when we say Peco here, do you mean Bagnaia, who's on the the factory Ducati, or do you mean Bastianini, who is on the other Avintia bike? Because I'm a bit confused. Oh, um, Bagnaia, sorry, I get my um, riders mixed up. Okay, that's that's fine. I I I was just I got very lost for a moment. I because I obviously Bagnaia is riding for the factory squad. I thought you were getting Bagnaia and Bastianini confused, and that confused me. Um, no, uh, Bagnaia. Okay, cool. So I actually think that um, that Bastianini's Avintia bike, the the actual Avintia machine, looks incredible. I think that's the best looking Avintia machine I've ever seen. I kind of think Marini's. VR46 Ducati is just a little bit... Well, it's just a VR46 bike. It's like they've literally just pulled the livery off his Moto2 machine and stuck it onto a, a MotoGP machine. And I'm kind of not that excited about it. I think it just... It might be fun to see it around the track. I think it'd be fun to see the VR46 livery and leathers on the MotoGP grid. But I actually don't think it looks that good. I think the Avintia one looks amazing. It's going to get confusing talking about these. Um... I I don't know. I just with the shape of the Ducati, I just like the way the VR46 logos and everything. So and the color, I like the color of it on that bike. 
Yeah, cool. I think it's the colour that I'm not really digging. I don't think the colour, in, in like obviously we agree to disagree, these things are, are subjective, but I don't think the colour really works that well. And I think it's just because I'm a bit bored of the VR46 livery. It's sort of been the same for it, the whole it's time. It's not changed at all, has it really? No, well, it changed from those early Moto3 bikes. They were very simple compared to what we've got now. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. It just looks like last year's Moto2 machine. Whereas the Avinti one, because it's such a change, looks like a very different machine again. I, I really like the mm. way they've done it. And what I think I quite like about the Avinti one is that they've clearly got no sponsors. So they can just afford yeah, to just have Avintia. the entire side of the bike with Avintia. So it's actually probably a bad financial move for them. But it looks nice for the eye, at least to my eye. Everyone else might really disagree here. <laughs> Yeah, it's really awkward because I, I, I'm getting confused the fact that they're in the same team. Yeah. Um, that's put that's putting me off this week all the time. I still think of the VR46 team as a separate team. And I look at that and I think, right, that's one team. The Avintia is over here. Um, you know, I've got to keep reminding myself they're still basically avintia esperama racing team yeah what are they now are they avintia are they a sponsor rama because last year we were all told to refer to them as a sponsor rama so we kind of all did yeah and now this year everyone's referring to them as avintia again i don't actually know what they're on the official uh the website as um, um the official website that i've got up in front of me is avintia esperama racing avintia sponsor rama racing okay so it's a the team of Vintia or Vintia the sponsor? I get very confused with oh, this. It's oh, it's Lenovo I, Ducati, isn't it? The new squad. I oh, know it's Ducati Lenovo. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm over it's, it, Steve. I don't know what we're calling them. I'm going with Vintia, and I'm going to stick with it for the year. Consistency. If you're wrong, that's okay, but be consistently wrong. <laughs> so I'm going with Vintia. It's, it's weird, isn't it? The whole if both bikes were the same, it's the whole VR46 thing that is screwing me up. Uh, because it just looks so different. We're so used to look at the decays, the factory decays. They're similar. They're all the same. Yeah, it's the factory decay. You know, this is the whatever it is, Avintia, Esperada. Who cares? That should be the same color. Yeah. In fact, the only team that's different to that is LCR, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And that's only because one guy. I mean, it's the same thing essentially. One guy has brought in his own sponsor. Uh, a different. Yeah, which Marini has. He's yeah. got his half-brother's backing, so he's brought that in. Um, yeah, I was quite shocked when looking at the Avintia, should we say, um, that the Avintia logo takes up so much of the bike. Because like you, I was figuring they were gone. We were going to see Esperama down the side or something. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, it's the whole thing is becoming a bit of a, a bit confusing. And I think it's sort of, don't get me wrong, I'm still glad to see Avintia there, but it, we were, like you say, we were told it's gone, and all of a sudden it's come back. Yeah, what so I'm a bit confused. I mean, I think this conversation is only going to matter for this year, and then after that, the whole yeah. squad's going to be the VR46 squad, probably not running Ducatis at sure. that point. Um, no. So it's kind of one of those weird things that we're just going to trip over. We're going to spend the entire year getting it wrong, Steve, and I'm going to consistently call them a Vintia, I'm... and I don't care what anyone else says. Yeah, I think we're just going to do that. I'm going to probably go down the same line. I'm going to... I'm pretty sure I'm going to get the riders mixed up as well. Um, 
but that's going to take some getting used to. It, once they get on track, it'll be easier. But yeah. when like we're getting all the unveilings, like oh my god, who's this? Who's that? Yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. <laughs> it's a bit confusing. I'm still. I've got the MotoGP website open in front of me, and I'm still a bit confused that I've got Jack Miller and Pecco Bagnaia both completely in red. So I think it's going to take me. And Alex Marquez as well isn't going to be on a Repsol this year. It's it's quite confusing. Mm. It's going to take me a couple of races to wrap my head around all the rider changes this year. Yeah, it's taken me longer than what I thought it would to get used to it. I keep looking at it. I'm like, oh, Christ, who's this? Who's that? Um, you know, I keep, for some bizarre reason, I've got a problem with Pekka, uh, Bastianini and Bagnaia. <laughs> I thought up. you had an issue so, earlier. And I was like, I don't know if Steve knows which one he's talking about at the moment. <laughs> I, in my head, I could picture it completely. But then I get the names wrong. I was like, the fuck? I did it earlier when I was talking to Sarah. I was like making some notes and talking about it i was like hang on i've just gone completely down the wrong road here <laughs> yeah like um, am i talking about the 2019 moto 2 champ or under oh, no, 2018 oh, i've fucked it now the 2018 moto 2 champ or the 2020 yeah. moto 2 champ it's like we well, just oh come on get your head around it for christ's sake i'll <laughs> get there one day i did it last year as well like, one day i'll get my head around this and i'm not the only one there's some pros out there that i've listened to that got it wrong as well so that makes me feel better yeah i wouldn't worry about it mate everyone's doing it um right shall we keep going let's go on to um we've got a couple of sad bits of news so before we hit those let's just have a brief discussion about the uh the latest social media debate uh as to whether or not johan mir should be running the number one or the number 36 plate this year what do you think you take you take the lead on this one so it's interesting because I 100% understand why everyone will want to run their own number. It's a branding exercise. doesn't matter what we say about this. Motorcycle racing is branding exercise for the riders, for, uh, for the manufacturers, for the teams. It's all a branding exercise. So I can understand why people run their own numbers. It makes sense. But I do love seeing a number one bike on the grid. Um, and It's just something nice to see. I enjoy seeing it. I liked seeing Casey Stoner run it. I liked it the year uh, Lorenzo ran it. Um, have we seen anyone else do it? Uh, uh, Nicky Hayden then, did it in 2008. He would have run it, wouldn't he? Yes, he would have run it yes. in 2008. Uh, but I wasn't watching it then. So No. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's been anyone since Lorenzo. I don't think there has. Um, uh, well, it would have been Stoner the following year would have run it. Uh, he was, Stoner yeah, would have sure. run it in 2012 for winning in 2011, but no one's run it since then. The thing, no. if it was me, I wouldn't run the number one plate because part of me thinks you look like a twat if you don't then back it up with another win. And I don't want to be rolling around in fourth place on the number one machine. You got to either commit to doing like the Mick Doohan, like boom, I'm just going to run the number one for five years on the trot. Or and I mean everyone wants to do that obviously, um, but not many people can do that. So I can. I, there's a, a number of reasons I can see why they wouldn't run the number one, but I would like to see it on the grid. Yeah, um, I I think it's, it, riders preference and yes, you're right. It's a massive marketing thing with your own number. Um, but we saw Lorenzo come up with that really nice J JL number one, which looked bloody awesome. Yeah, and that was um, great. That's the livery he ran in 2011, and that was the year I yeah. first started watching MotoGP. And so I have a very nice memory of that, and I, I love it. It's one of my favourite numbers um, ever. Yeah. I, I like it. I think 
if it, if you're a champion, yes, you get given the choice. But if you're number one, I I think you should display it, even if you know you can't back it up. Like Mir's definitely not favourite this year. Um, you know, he's a person to beat because he is number one. Um, but I would like to see it back on the grid. I'm I'm personally a um, a fan of seeing the number one plate on the champion's bike. I just like it. Whether they could make something out of his number to sort of construct a one or something. Um, I don't know, but I personally like seeing it on the grid and I wish he would do it this year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you completely. Um, I do have a question for you actually that I didn't put in the show notes. It's literally just based on something you just said. If Mir isn't the favorite this year, who is? Uh I would go personally with Frankie. Oh, you think Morgadelli's the favourite? I would say so. I mean, I can't see anyone else posing that much of a threat, although we said that about Mia last year. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm just not sure I trust the Yamaha enough for any no, of the Yamahas to be a threat. If he can carry on his form from last year towards the end of the season... Oh, yeah. I mean, look at him. He got, what, smashed out three wins on the bounce or something, didn't he? Yeah. Um, if he can follow that kind of form, he's golden. That's his. Quattararo was blowing hot and coals and, you know, has now moved teams. Rossi has just gone off the boil and moved teams. Miller's moved teams. Uh, Bagnaia's moved teams. There's a lot of newcomers. There's a lot of rookies. Um, Rins is my other bet. It'll be more Bedelli or Rins this year, I think. Yeah, um, I would be hedging towards the Rins or Mir, I think. And I just said Frankie won three on the bounce. He didn't win three on the bounce, but he did have a good tear at the end of the season. Um, yeah, I would, a right old ramp. I would think it's one of the Suzuki's, man. I do think it, it it's Mir or Rins. And I... My heart says Rins because I just quite like him and I sort of really liked his rise through Moto3. Well, uh, yeah, that year is 2013, that battle with Miller like, and yeah. uh, Marquez uh, and then into Moto2. I, I did quite enjoy that and I, 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 I kind of feel a connection to him. That might have been 2014. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Um, I, I do feel a connection to Rins for that reason, but... You know, my head kind of says, can he, he, he's fucked it last year. That was his perfect chance, you know. And and if Marquez comes back, that changes everything. But I, I do think it's the Suzuki again that are the favourites because I just don't, I don't think the Ducatis have got the consistency. I don't think the Yamahas have got the consistency. The only one that does is Frankie and he's going to be on a two-year-old machine. Um, mm. Maybe KTM will be the fly in the ointment. I can't see Repsol Honda with uh, Pol. I think Paul might win a race, but I can't see him being a championship threat in his first year. If Marquez no. is back, that changes the, the playing field. But otherwise, I do think it's Suzuki still. Yeah, that's a fair. It's, it's really, really awkward. No one had a clue who was going to win it last year. Um, and I don't think anyone really has a clue who's going to win it this year. Um, there was quite an interesting... Uh, interview with Mir done earlier in the week and he said the same thing he's like I'm not the favourite to win the championship but I am the one to beat um, so he's going to have more pressure hyped on in this year to back up what he did last year and defend that championship um, you know we've seen Rins get spurred on by his results and he said as well that uh, you know a good 
team battle will spur him on. Mm. It's, it's going to be there's a lot of dynamics going on in the field this year, which is going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah, um, there's going to be a lot of little intermingles sort or of battles going on between teammates and you know the rookies. And like you say, KTM, no one really knows what KTM is going to do this year uh, because all of a sudden they've started to look really, really good. Um, and then, like you say, Marcus, when the hell is he going to come back? What is he going to do when he gets back? It, he feels a bit like the fly in the ointment, doesn't he? That Marquez could just come in and just scuff at everything for everyone. I would really love to see a stat on some bookies' websites of how many people have put in money on him now to come back and win the title this year. Oh, I can't imagine. I wonder what can you? Um, people, I'm absolutely home percent positive. People would do it. Um, I mean, I if someone was to say to me, I'll give you five to one on Marquez winning the championship this year, I'd be like, right, obviously, yes, I'm going to take that because it's Marquez. And I feel like Marquez is the kind mm. of guy that could miss three rounds and still come back and win it. Whether or not that's true after missing an entire year, I don't know, but I'd, st- I'd still chuck a tenner on it. Oh, yeah, I, I might have a cheeky pump myself, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Um, all I know is that coming into the start of the season, when the Fantasy League gets back up and running, Steve, I will be chucking both Suzuki's, if I can afford them, into my squad. Yes, I think there will be a lot of people doing that. And I was thinking about Fantasy League. Let's check that, because I don't think there's been any word yet on when they're firing that bad boy up this year. No, I'm not sure. But while you're looking that up, Steve, we'll just have a... Uh, uh, I, I guess send our thoughts, love and prayers to Fausto Grassini. Uh, the guy is still yeah, in definitely. hospital, uh, making small steps towards recovery. He has been woken up out of his coma, a uh, medically induced yes. coma, um, but he's still struggling. It's been he's been in ICU for six weeks or something now, I think. So it's gonna he's you know this is a it's a long time. time with COVID. Like this isn't the kind of Donald Trump Boris Johnson COVIDs. Uh, this is a a proper battle with COVID. Um, and, yeah, bless you. Know, uh, it's one of those, if it wasn't for medical intervention, he certainly wouldn't have got this far. And uh, no. we just kind of, like I say, our, our, our thoughts, hopes and uh, proverbial prayers are, are with him in, in making a really strong recovery in this time. Definitely. Get well soon, buddy. Um, on to more uh, uh, not so great news then. Let's dive into this uh, this fire that's broken out, Steve. Um, you oh, sent yes. me some footage of this from... Uh, the hang on two seconds mate bear with me I've got uh, someone coming in right sorry about that guys minor interruption Uh, being on the Isle of Skye means that we (laughs) struggle to do shopping so when a Tesco slot becomes available you really have to jump on it so uh, (laughs) that was Cherie coming through to inform me that within the household here we've managed to secure a Tesco slot very exciting. It means I will have more beer coming in. But that's not the important thing here. We were talking about the the fire at uh, Termas de Rio Hondo uh, in Argentina. Um, I, I Honestly, I don't know a lot about this, Steve. I only know that there was kind of a big fire and the pictures don't look great. But you've done some more research on this, so I'll let you take the lead on this one. Uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly what day it was, but... Um... News started to circulate that there was a fire at the track, and apparently uh, it started in the pit boxes. Uh, what caused it, I don't know yet, but that, that soon spread to the VIP area and then the media centre. And you'd imagine the track would be empty, right? There like, shouldn't be anything in the pit boxes. Um, yeah, what caused it yet has not been announced or nothing's been said. 
Uh, but looking at the pictures of, of it today, it is not looking good. No, it looks completely much gutted, right? Yeah, yeah, it looks absolutely destroyed. Uh, so, don't know. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. Financial markets are taking a big hit. Yeah, and I imagine uh, the track hasn't been used for its big international sports for a while. I imagine it's not made a lot of money in the last year. And, you know, like when it comes to building a track, a track is expensive to build and expensive to maintain just the tarmac. But yes, you can't like for a track that's potentially not had a race for the last year, can't afford to be go dropping a few million on repairing the entire pit lane to be repaired. All the tarmac That's... around that area is going to be fucked. They're going to have to tear all that up, rebuild it. The entire VIP area, like, there's a lot of money and a lot of work needs to go into this. And unless That's... the track gets some help, I can't see it continuing, man. No, I'm a little bit worried myself that it's going to be a lot, a lot of money to put that right, um, which is a shame. I really don't want to see it um, go under or drop off the calendar because it is a really nice track. Um but I don't know. I really hope they've got some decent backing, um, some good insurance they can fall back on. Mm. Um, with any luck, they can get it rebuilt um, to a decent standard as well, because it's got to meet the criteria that you know to bring the bigger races there. Yeah, well, um, both Formula One and MotoGP go there, so it's an FIA Grade exactly. One and an FIM Grade One as well. So, like, it's a yeah, it's one of the best tracks in the world for that, those reasons. Uh, I don't know. Is it uh, state sponsored? Do, do they get help from the Argentinian I government? D- I don't know. I don't know. Um, but if they got the back end of the motor, like MotoGP boards, the Formula One boards, I'm sure there'll be something there to help them out. Because, like you said, both both race series go there. Um, the Formula One alone is a massive draw for them. They won't want to lose that. Yeah, exactly. So I I think they'll be hopefully okay and they can, you know, get the place rebuilt as soon as possible, uh, as soon as humanly possible in this um, middle of this pandemic. So I don't know what the situation is like out there. Um, and hopefully, hopefully we will go back there next year. Yes, fingers crossed, eh? Fingers crossed. Um and our last little cheeky bit of news then before we get on to the, uh, the actual show then. Uh, it's not even news, mm. is it? This is just you and I falling into rabbit holes of, of reading about motorbikes, really. Um, you we went in and had quite a, a, a dive into the oldest motorcycle manufacturer still producing motorcycles, didn't you? I did, yeah. After Tim's nice little quirky snippet last week on um, Schindler. I was about to say Schindler's List, and I was like, no, we didn't talk about a movie. Um, <laughs> Same guy, though. So, you know, that was the point. Yeah. Um, I thought it'd be interested to see who is the oldest motorcycle manufacturer still producing motorcycles to this day. And it turns out it is Peugeot who produced their first available motorcycle in 1898. Isn't that fucking bonkers, man? 1898. That's a long time ago, mate. That's what, 123 years ago at this point? Something like that. Something like that, yeah. It is, I mean, they produce, what, scooters now? Yeah, and I didn't actually realise that Peugeot Motorcycles is owned by Mahindra. Yes, so I did read that. They took me, um, I was reading your Daimler bit there as well. Oh, yeah. A little bit by surprise. Um, I was like, did they? I thought it was Daimler. Um, Yeah, I, I found that quite surprising. Uh, they're owned by Mahindra. I thought Mahindra just were a small little manufacturer 
um, on their own. I didn't no, realize. No, I mean, Hinge are pretty big because they make a uh, Moto E car, not Moto E car for fuck's sake, Tim. Formula E car as well. Uh, there is a Mahindra Formula E team. So, because when they pulled out of Moto Three, it was to focus their efforts onto. Yeah, I... uh, they pulled out of Moto Three, not Formula Three. I'm getting very confused. <laughs> my formulas and my motos here. They pulled out of Moto well, Three to go to Formula show E tonight, isn't it? Yeah, it's certainly. We haven't even got into the show yet, Steve. I've had uh, a break to do my shopping. It's more than half an hour in. I'm plenty of beer in today, so it's certainly going to be one of those shows, I think. Um, but I did dive into after reading your fact uh, about Peugeot. I was like, ah, oh, so Peugeot still making motorbikes, right? So who made the first motorbike? And I had a bit of a dive as well, and found out that Daimler, who uh, own Mercedes Benz today um uh, they made the first production internal combustion motorcycle in 1885 um not the first ever motorcycle though depending on how you want to judge it but uh a few years... you spin it isn't it exactly because a few years prior to that uh, a fellow called lucius copeland made a steam-powered motorbike um and that went somewhere in the region of eight miles an hour so uh, yeah you know, you're not going to be breaking a TT lap record on that. No, and you're going to have to stop to put water in it every now and again, aren't you? Well, you're going to have to stop. You probably have to stop to put coal in more than anything. You can probably just pour the water in for like while you're riding. You're only going eight miles That's an hour. That's a good hour. point, actually. Maybe it only did eight mile an hour because you had a bag on the coal on the back. You know, you've got to <laughs> shovel that in. You've got your coal trailer. <laughs> yeah, he's towing that bugger behind him. What an effort. <laughs> Legend. You imagine that effort. You get to work like, I'm fucked. Uh, yeah, exactly. Shovel 200 kilos of coal on the way here. <laughs> but you've been, you're three days late, Steve. Like, it goes eight miles an hour. Give the man a break. <laughs> yeah, you're already coming three miles. You had to stop coal and water. What do you want? Yeah. Imagine if that had taken off. Imagine if we lived in a world now where steam-powered motorcycles were the thing. Well, you've got to think about it. Steam was the thing before the internal combustion engine, was it? There were steam was. cars. There were steam trains. Like, if that... if internal combustion engines hadn't come around when they did, if they'd have come around 30, 40 years later, then, yeah, we would have had steam-powered motorbikes. World War One would have been fought under steam power. Like, it, it's a that... weird thing to say, like, what would have happened if the internal combustion engine was just 50 years later? Oh, it's a marvellous thing, the internal combustion engine. I love it. It's Greta amazing Thornburg, what you can do much. with some fossil fuels, eh? Yeah, yeah. Hello, Gra. How you doing, girl? <laughs> um, right, shall we uh, dive... Oh, before we dive into the show, actually, Steve, let's... Uh, to more into the show. Um, let's just have a quick discussion. We've um, decided to make a... For the love of MotoGP facebook community group this is a place where we kind of want you guys to come and hang out with us and just talk motorbikes and MotoGP, and obviously fall off on massive tangents about steam-powered vehicles because that's just the kind of shit we do um so you can search us on facebook at the moment we've got we've not got a lot of people in there steve at the moment there's seven of us and i think those seven include you, me, both our girlfriends, the pay, the Fred Off MotoGP page, and then two listeners. So, you know, if you guys want to come chat MotoGP with me, Steve, our girlfriends, the page, and two other listeners, come along to the Facebook group and let's grow it. Let's make a great community because that's what this show's about. It's just about having fun. I get pissed. Steve's the sensible, sober one, and we just talk motorbikes. So come and do it with us. Come to our Facebook group. Search us, you'll find us, we're there. 
with yeah come and have a little chat keep it sensible keep it motorbike related MotoGP related but it doesn't have to be all MotoGP related just don't try and sell us stuff unless it's MotoGP related yeah if you've got something signed then you know we might consider well I don't know if we consider buying it it depends how authentic it is you know and how much it is mate because I ain't making a lot of money at the moment (laughs) no I ain't making a lot either I need to get back to work but I can't do that because I've got a poorly girlfriend yes um, but yes, come over, join us. You'll find us there, and uh, it's just a place to hang out. So yeah, get it going. Let's get a nice community going together. We can do discussions. Like we'll get a race weekend going. We can, it'd just be a fun thing to do. Yeah, um, certainly. And I'll drop a link in the show notes as well. Yeah, you know we can take the piss out of the last person in the fantasy league when we get it going. You know, and just send criticism to the person in first as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, and we can currently do that because the person who won our fantasy league has already joined the group. So she has, she's there. There we go. There's <laughs> we can we can no trust some people to be there with us, Steve. I know it's great. We'll get some more. I'm sure we'll get some more. It'd be nice to get some more in the fantasy league this year. If you've got people, you know, friends who don't watch MotoGP, get them round, get them into it. You know, subject them to that swirling vortex of light until they love it um <laughs> uh right so steve let's we better do <laughs> we'll crack on with the show mate it's we the uh the pre-show ramble has lasted a whole 40 minutes today so Jesus. let us take a quick break and then when we come back we'll dive into the career of luca marini so far shall we let's do it okay good plan time for a break with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Right, so thank you for bearing with us, guys. Steve is staring out the window at the snow like a captivated kitten. Um, but we are going to um, bring it back to the, 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 uh, the topic at hand, shall we say. <laughs> You actually scared the shit out of me then, because I was so mesmerised by the snow coming down outside. I hadn't realised we were on a, a little bit of a pause back into the show because we had a break, and then yeah. I was like, Tim started talking. I was like, shit. <laughs> yeah, I was just in the typical few seconds of silence, so I know where to cut and edit. And uh, Steve just got lost looking at the snow. So I was, I was looking at my sledge, thinking, ooh, midnight glow stick sledging mate you live on a hill as well so you know you've only got to walk 20 minutes up the road and you could sled back down it in two my first thought was to sledge down this hill Uh, where i live is on at the bottom of a very long hill isn't it it's quite a long what we talking half a mile hill it's long enough that i once overtook a moped on a push bike cycling down towards your house it's pretty epic this hill yeah (laughs) Um, with some nice corners as well i'm gonna add um my first thought, like this morning, I was like, we haven't got a sledge for the boys. I'm going to have to go get one. I could walk and get one and sledge back down this hill. Oh, that would um, be great. To which point, 
which point I was very much shot down and told, no, don't be an idiot. Um, <laughs> At least there's one sensible adult in your house, Steve. <laughs> there has to be. She was the same as me. These boys would be screwed. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway. Anyway, today, the point of the show, and if you've got this far, you're around 45 minutes in and you've already read the title and you've already been screaming at your phone to be like, guys, hurry the fuck up. But we're here to talk <laughs> about the career of Luca Marini. He is making it to the big time. He's breaking into the GP paddock this year. And just like uh, Jorge Martin last week, we're here to discuss his career up until this point. So let's just dive straight into it. Luca Marini was born on the 10th of August 1997. That makes him six years younger than me. Uh, not the eight years that you originally wrote there, Steve. It's it's six. Um, right. <laughs> and an unspeakable amount younger than yourself, uh, as you yes, also wrote in the notes. That. That's not just me being horrible about your age this time. Um, it's also actually the same year that Valentino Rossi won his first 125 championship. That's bad, isn't it? I read that as well. I forgot to write that bit in. I read it. I was like, no way. Yeah. Yeah. True, but... And then I was like, fucking hell. That really makes me old, because I can remember watching that one two five victory. Oh, there you go. See, you were watching Valentino Rossi win that title in the same year that Luca Marini was born. Um, but the two are very connected. It's not just that it's the uh, that 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 Marini was born in the same year that Rossi won his championship. They are actually maternal half brothers. Um, I mean, I think that must sort of suck. If I was Luca Marini and my brother was like the greatest of all time at something, there's no fucking way I'm going into that same career. With Alex Marquez and Mark Marquez, I can sort of understand. There's not enough years between them to, to for you to look at him and go, do you know what? I'm not going to follow in his footsteps because he's too good. Luca Marini had plenty of time to watch how good Valentino was and yeah, still chose I, to follow him. I did think... Is that bit of sibling do there's sibling rivalry and you know Luca's got some big big balls on him quite to want to come in yeah to want to come into the same sport because let's face it everyone's going to compare you they always will look at Alex Marquez and Mark Marquez like you say everyone's always going to have that oh he's not good as him he's, you, you know your brother would have done this differently jive yeah. you know he's he, and like you said, he had plenty of time to look at Rossi and go, oh, fuck's sake, tennis. Tennis is good. <laughs> That's exactly you it. Because I mean? if you were like, if you're the brother of Lewis Hamilton, I mean, Lewis Hamilton's brother is a race car driver, so that's a bad example. Um, <laughs> but if you were the brother of Roger Federer, you're probably not going to go, and, and young enough that this is the age gap here, uh, you're not going to go into, it's almost 20 years between them actually, it's quite a big age gap, um, but you're not mm. going to go into that sport, you're not going to go into tennis if your brother's Federer, nowadays you're not going to go into into racing, car racing if your brother's uh, Lewis Hamilton, you're not going to go into golf if it's Tiger Woods, you're not going to go into basketball if it's Kobe Bryant, you're just not going to do these things, you go and forge your yeah. own path. But a part of me sort of thinks, good on you for trying here. Like, if you just get one MotoGP World Championship, if you just get a race win under your belt, you've kind of done better than anyone expected of you. Aye. But, 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 has Luca been a very smart boy? Uh, Because he's landed himself a ride in a certain team 
are owned by a certain person who is very close to him, who is probably not far from retiring, who is going to be backing you in your corner. I mean, that's a very good point. And as we'll see through this show, he certainly had a, uh, in my, not even in my opinion, in many people's opinion, and certainly in my opinion a few years ago, has certainly had a a leg up uh, from being who he is. Uh, And it's not to say he's not talented, because he's still much, much better on a motorcycle than I could ever dream to be, Um, or than 99.9% of the world's population could ever dream to be. But I do think he's had a small helping hand to get there. That's not taking yeah. anything away. I just think that's kind of putting it out there. There's always going to be a little bit of help come your way, be it, be it either for advice or a little bit of financial help. Um, I'm sure the stipulations in place Luca has had to meet to get these, these little helping hands, shall we say. Um, but I personally think he's been a very clever boy and has set himself up nicely um, for the future. Can you imagine if he does really badly and Valentino has to fire him next year? <laughs> that would be awkward. Can you imagine that at the Christmas table? Oof. Yeah, if you're Valentino, you're like, I'm going around Dad's house for dinner. I'm not, I'm yeah, not dealing I, with this. <laughs> you have that. I'm, yeah. I'm not getting involved. Um, you know, I think he's been a very clever boy. And, and we, we will see what pans out this year, what he yeah. can do. We certainly will. So he's been riding motorbikes from the age of five. And as you'd expect from anyone that is coming into MotoGP, he's just won everything he's touched on his way up into the Grand Prix classes. Um, Until he reached the international stage, which again is quite normal. We've discussed this a lot. People win everything. They hit the international stage and they're like, whoa, everyone here is fast. Yeah. Um, Everyone is really good. Yeah, that's it. And until he hit the international stage, actually, he wasn't known as Rossi's brother, was he? He was kind of, no, it was never hidden, but it was never really out there. He was just Luca Marini. So while he was winning domestic yeah. championships and stuff uh, and doing very well on, on mini bikes and things, he wasn't Rossi's brother. He was just Luca Marini, which is a huge advantage, I think. That is, yeah. All of a sudden, you know, um, we've seen him suddenly have a, uh, like become a full-time racer. And the closer his path has taken him down the same path as Rossi, and all of a sudden that is going to come to the surface who he is. Mm. And it's inevitable that people are going to put the two together and start shining lights between one and the other. Um, but I think it was probably more of an advantage when he was younger and he wasn't known. Because you, can you imagine turning up to your first little race, oh, you're Rossi's brother, and getting it instantly? It would be terrible, that, wouldn't it? Yeah, at that age. If he doesn't come out and just start emulating his brother's results and probably even bettering them, people are just going to look at you and go, well, you're not your brother. You're shit. Get out of here. At that age, you're very impressionable. And personally, I would have just walked. Yeah. And I'd have gone like, tennis is good. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think actually if I was his mum uh, or, or his dad, obviously, who is different to Rossi's dad. But either way, I would mm. have been like, mm, let's try and push you in a different career plan because I'm not I'm not I'm not happy with this one. No, but good on him for letting him follow his dreams. Um, he's there now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's made it to MotoGP, hasn't he? So he's, he's doing something right. So um, 2013, we saw Marini start in the Italian CIV uh, Moto3 championship. Uh, he finished the season in fourth place, scoring six podiums uh, across the year. 
he also during that year wildcarded twice in the Spanish CEV Moto3 Championship, uh, and that was for the FTR right. Honda squad. And he managed to finish 7th and 14th. So considering it was only two races, and you would argue that, say, that CEV is a step up from CIV, um, you, that's, yeah. that's not a bad result. You don't know your competition, you don't know the bike, uh, you don't know the team. So that's a that's a good step into that. And he did compete in one Moto3 Grand Prix, uh, which was at Mazzano, but he scored a DNF in that race. So, you know, yeah. like... It's kind of the typical first step, isn't it, you're expecting from most riders at yeah. this point. Um, all things considered, as f- like a first year full time, should we say, not bad. No, not it's bad not at bad all. at all, is it? No. Um, boy's got a lot to hold his head up high for that year, and you know, he goes on to a lot better things. Certainly. So, 2014 sees him riding the CV Championship full time. He's on egg still Moto Three, uh, and he's on the Calix KTM. Mm. Uh, is it the Calix KTM? Yes. Okay. I believe it was, yes. That's right then. Okay. I've written Calix KTM <laughs> on the notes. Now I'm thinking like, but Calix are a chassis manufacturer. Uh, but I, I think that is right. I'm going to stick with it. We're going to hope it's right. Um, Go with it. So he was a regular point scorer across the season and was troubling the top 10 by the end of the year. Overall, finished 16th with 32 points. Um, and a lot of this, people are saying if he was you know, a foot shorter, he'd have been crushing it. Um, but he was just too tall for Moto 3 machinery um so and and this is something we've seen haven't we we see this in moto 3 as well someone like bo ben schneider was way too tall for a moto 3 bike uh, and we've seen that over and over again um so and people jump up into moto 2 and start to perform and i think we can say marine did that in 2015 he jumped up to the moto 2 calyx team in c cev once more um and he had it was with Pons Racing, but it didn't take the the classic Pons Racing livery. He he ended up with a, a, a almost VR forty six livery, and I don't know. I did try and do some googling here, and I couldn't get too far into it. But I think it's the first example of the VR forty six Academy logo on a Moto two machine. Ooh, I never did. I didn't notice that. I did not notice that at all. I think that's right. Mm. I can't promise you that it is. I did try and Google further, but I I I, I couldn't find an example of it earlier than this. Um, so I think this is the one, but I might be wrong. If anyone out there is listening uh, and, and you know that I'm wrong or you want to tell me I'm correct, then uh, join the Facebook group and you can do it there. <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> nice plug. I like that too. I'm going to be plugging this Facebook group for weeks, mate, weeks. Even I'll be walking into co-op and being like, have you heard of our Facebook group? So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> someone, some woman going to be sat behind the counter in the shop going, who the fuck? Well, they still don't really. I, I still get a, a quite a frosty reception when I go to co-op. Like every now and again, when really? I have to go, yeah. But I mean, I'm on the Isle of Skye, we're quite far north in Scotland. There's travel lockdowns, but this is one of the most desirable holiday destinations in the UK. So as soon as someone hears an English accent, oh. they assume you're on holiday. So I'm getting this quite a lot. And people are like, oh, are you on your holidays? And I'm like, no, no, I'm living here. I'm living here. And then they kind of give me the evil eye. And then and, and then we start talking politics. And then it's okay. I, I can make friends with people <laughs> when I talk politics. So that's, that's all good. <laughs> you just get um, a little pro-Scotland flag out. Yay! That's it, exactly. I'm like, I support the SNP. And then it's, it's very quick whether at that point, 55% of the country are like, good man, you, you can stay. The other 45 are like, you need to fuck right off. So that's the, <laughs> but it's 55%. So that's the majority. So that's the, uh, that's the one I go for. And, oh, and 
whether or not I support the SNP is is irrelevant at this point. I'm not letting my political flag wave on the show. So, uh, Luca Marini, CEV Moto2 with Pons Racing. First example of a VR46 logo on a Moto2 machine. Um, every race he finished in that 2015 season uh, it was within the top seven. Uh, he scored one podium, though. So, you know, he's kind of... <laughs> constantly troubling that uh the the fourth to seventh place just throughout the season scored the one podium it was 11 race season and he finished fifth overall with 115 points but there were two non-scores included in that that's it's not bad at all this bloke's already you know what a few seasons in he's holding his head high doing well it was his first um, season on a moto 2 bike so yes yes i like yeah over the career i sort of talk about mm. so he had a sort of fairly quick step up um yeah, for a first season on a Moto Two bike, yeah, nothing wrong with that. No, exactly. And he did also compete in the uh, Misano Moto Two Grand Prix and finished twenty first. Mm. And we know, especially in this kind of twenty fifteen era, and, and Moto Two is a cutthroat championship anyway, Grand Prix level. Uh, and I think mm. kind of twenty fifteen, it was almost at its best. The kind of thirteen, fourteen, fifteen era was almost at its fiercest. Just finishing that race is is a pretty good result, to be fair. Like he, he he's six places away from the points. Like I, I'll take my hat off. Happy days, well played. Yeah, yeah, I would consider that a, a good day at work. Exactly. Um. So right. 2016 saw the, and this is kind of where he started to catch, I think, international attention. This is the first time I'd heard mm-hmm. of him. Uh, in 2016, he moves to the Grand Prix Moto2 paddock with the forward team, um, the Italian team, right. and they put him on a two-year deal. Uh, he his first season was crashy, I think you'd say. It was crashy. Yeah, very crashy indeed. Um. um Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. We both armed at the same time there. Uh, he had six retirements across the season uh, and also six points finishes. The rest were non-scores. Not non-scores, but they were outside of the points. Uh, he did yeah. score a sixth place in Germany. So, you know, that's a, a, a flash it's of a brilliance, I guess you'd say. Yeah. It's a little a flash in the pan. But um, for your first time out, full, um, you know, not bad. But yeah, a crashy, crashy season. Um, which I don't know. I don't know if I, looking at it on paper, I don't know if it sort of disappoints me because up until this point he'd like done really well. Um, but at the same time, I'm thinking not bad, not bad. Okay, settle down. Um, you know, and you'll be fine. Yeah, and and it, we we can say it disappoints, but I think we're saying that with hindsight. The other day, he yeah. he was still a Moto Two rookie. Um, he hadn't come up from the the standard Grand Prix Moto3 class, so he hadn't no. been racing the international field. Like, this was the first time he's racing yeah. the best of the best. And it's like we've discussed, you can crush everything up to a domestic level, then you get dumped into Moto3 normally, and you're like, whoa, these guys are fast. Luca Marini crushed, and didn't even crush everything at a domestic level, but did well at a domestic level, and then skipped mm. the Moto3 learning curve. He was straight into the cutthroat Moto2 class. So you're already racing guys that have graduated from that, that Moto3 class, so they're already the some of the fastest guys in the world, without a doubt. They've already faced off against the fastest kids in the world to move up to this level. So oh, the fact that's... he finished 23rd with 34 points isn't a bad result, I don't think. No, that's quite a ruthless way of going about it. You know, if you're going to miss out Moto3, you've got to have a lot of confidence in your ability. Mm. 
Um, you know, it's like you say, everyone comes through. What ninety percent of people come through all three classes. Yeah, uh, we've seen a couple jump a class or two or come in a bit later. But not really um, in recent years, have we? I think Jack Miller was the no. last one that did a weird jump. But apart from that, mm. not really anything else. So, like, if you if you're gonna miss that first rung on the ladder, you've got to make sure you have a good run up and get a good jump. Yeah, exactly. Or, or you're, you know, you've got someone there to support you, which I guess he did, but he also was making a mark. It's not just the Valentino's brother. At the time, I remember thinking, I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, who's this guy? I didn't know a lot about the sport. Oh, I certainly wasn't as into the lower classes as I am now. I I don't think I had the same respect and appreciation for the sport that I do now, and that was only four or five years ago. Um, But I do remember watching him and thinking, fucking hell, because this is the first time they're like, oh, Valentino Rossi's brother. Oh, this is exciting. Yeah, I can remember that. I, I do remember thinking, like, he's not that great. He's crashing a lot. I think yeah. he's a bit shit. And I honestly didn't think he'd make it any further. Um, and I've put in the notes here, as yeah, you can see, I Steve, remember. makes me look like a twat. <laughs> yes. I remember um, thinking very much the same things. Um, so, you know, where's this guy come from? He's crashing everywhere. Everyone at this point, like you say, has started to realize who he was is mm. um it started to make the comparison and all of a sudden he's come out and crashed like crazy which is not um a typical race style of his brother he doesn't crash that often um you know and everyone had pretty much wrote him off from day one yeah uh, which was pretty much unfair um so i was really glad when he stuck around but similar to you i hadn't really taken that much interest in the lower classes at this point i'd started to um but i hadn't devoted that much sort of attention to it um, it was only the last couple of years I really started to take notice. Uh, but I can remember him having a crashy season back then. I flicked off it straight away and it was sort of gone out the, the grey matter. Yeah. Um, but it was good that he hung around because what he sort of goes on to do after this in the next couple of years is some really nice racing. Yeah, exactly. So that brings us to 2017. He stays with the forward team who are now the forward racing team. Mm. Um although we say he, this was a good season he had seven retirements and two did not start um throughout the year mm. and that really ruined what was a good season because well what started off as a good season the first six races he had five point scoring finishes um yes and it was looking solid and then in the following 12 races he scored points twice um, yeah yeah so he kind of built a position and just uh, in the early races and you wouldn't say even protected it at that point. He kind of just, those points kept him going. In the end, he finished 15th with 59 points. Did score a fourth place at Bruneau though. So again, it was a flash of brilliance that was there. Those those results that I guess as the casual fan, even 2016, 2017, I was still a casual Moto2 fan, not like now where I'm mm. glued to it. Um and it, it, to a casual fan, you forget those flashes of brilliance. But I guess to those yeah. in the know, they were seeing this happen. And they were they were aware that, okay, he's not his brother. And he probably never will be his brother. But he's not a slow guy on two wheels. Like, he's a fast, fast rider. You've just It's one of those, isn't it, that you've <clears> just <throat> got to train him not to crash. Yeah. Um, this is the point when I was looking for the notes where I personally thought, like we said, the family influence, should we say, or lifeline was handed. Because you look at the two first seasons full-time in the world stage in Moto2, and they're not that great. Mm. You know, there's a lot of crashes, a lot of retirements. And suddenly, you know, after two years with the same team, 
his contract's up, um, and this is where the help comes. Yeah, because you would think most riders, wouldn't you, at that point, wouldn't get a ride. The fol- well, they might get a ride the following year, but it's not going to be with a front-running team. No, no. Um, you know, all of a sudden, this, I could be completely wrong, but the way I read it when we write our notes down, is that is how I interpret it. Um, you know, you've had a two-year contract. That's coming to an end. You've not had two good years at all. Uh, very crashy. Um, a lot of problems. Haven't still scored great points. Um, had the odd flash in the pan. Two-year contract isn't getting renewed. Um, all of a sudden, along comes a, a helping hand. Shall we say, and we see 2018 appear, and all of a sudden he's on a Moto2 VR46 bike. Exactly. So it was VR46's second year, wasn't it? The first year they'd had Bangnaya and... Or oh, let's remember the fella's name. Um, he's the one that Fanati pulled the brake lever for. Uh, Antonelli? No, not Antonelli. This is embarrassing. I should have looked this up. Ooh, Fanati oh. pulled his brake lever. Tall guy, Italian, was part of the VR46 Academy. Very frustrating, Steve. Um, yeah, I can picture him and I can picture the move. I can picture the bike, the colour scheme, the lot. I cannot picture, forget the guy's name. Yeah, me uh, too. Hang on, let's just do a, a cheeky Google. We're both typing at the same time. I can... Yeah, here we go. It is Stefano Manzi. There we go. Manzi, there it is. Um, he's now in Moto2. He's still, he's well, still in Moto2, he? yeah. I think he might be on the MV Augusta. At least he was last year. You could I don't be know right. where he's going. Which is actually the forward racing MV Augusta. So they might have just swapped places. I think they probably did. It's like, here you go, have a ride. Yeah, because I think he was still in the VR46 Academy at the time as well. Um, yes, yeah. I'm pretty sure you're right on that one. Um, but yes, like like you were saying, I like I, and I think it was perceived by a lot of people, it wasn't just me, it wasn't just maybe a bit picky, I think it was a lot of fans, kind of perceived this move to the VR46 squad as a last-ditch attempt. This was like his brother being like, fuck's sake, come on, I'll give you one shot. If you can't do it, like I, I, there's nothing else I can do for you. So he moved yeah. to the VR46 squad. Teammate was Francesco Bagnaia. And um, Marini's season started off pretty slow. He scored four points finishes mm. in the first eight races. Um, but then things really started to improve and they kind of snowballed for him. He scored three podiums on the bounce uh, following those first eight races. And then he scored two more before the season of out, was out. One of those was actually a win at Malaysia. Um, he managed to kind of drag himself up to seventh in the standings, 147 points. Great improvement throughout the years. The only really the downside for him uh, that season was that Bagnaya, his teammate, managed to win the title with 306 points, won eight races and four more podiums on the way. Yeah, that was really the only fly in the ointment, wasn't it? Just your annoying teammate. Mm. Although arguably, I guess that the VR46 squad, haven't they? They've already, because they train together, they live together they work very well on track together, and that was very much shown last year as well, wasn't it? Um, we we with Marini and Bas- not Bastianini, Bazecchi. Um, yeah, it showed that they work very well on track together, and I think this year, the 2018 year, was the year that that relationship really worked for them. Because I don't think Marini would be where he was now if he hadn't have been Bagnaia's teammate, if he wasn't seeing Bagnaia's data, no. if Bagnaia wasn't helping him reach the next level. Um, I think that this year was pivotal in making him the right oh, he is now. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. 
Um, and like you said, it's such a close-knit little group there. You put two Academy riders in the same team and you've got a marriage made in heaven. Exactly. Um, all run from this tight-knit little base camp on a ranch where they all train. They're all very cliquey, should we say. It's almost like a clique. Mm. Um, you know, it, <laughs> what dreams are made of. That's it. And that's kind of part of the reason I can't wait to see the Morbidelli Rossi combo in MotoGP next year or this year. Yes, this year. Yes. Yeah, it's not far away. We're another week closer. I know it's getting close now, man. I cannot wait. What have we got now? We've got uh, five weeks till till race. I'm not sure it's even five weeks, is it? We'll we'll check after we've done recording. <laughs> I, yeah, it is getting seriously close. And we've got testing before that as well. So we're only a few weeks away from that. Oh. So, um, 2019 saw Bagnaia move up to MotoGP, um, leaving Marini to to spearhead the Moto2 effort. Aye. Um, we kind of expected this to be his breakout year, didn't we? Like, he, he'd done well the year before. He'd done well in 2018. He'd really he'd, he'd taken another step. I mean, if we go back Aye. and look through his, his Moto2 career and his finishes, he... Uh, had finished 23rd in 2016. In 2017, he moved on to finish... Oh, I thought I could find it quickly then, but I didn't. Uh-huh. Uh, finished 15th. 2018, he, he took another step and he finished 7th. Uh, and he'd won races that year. Oh. So we're expecting like, right, okay, 29, 2019 is the year he's going to win more races. He's going to he's going to get up there. He's going to be fighting for the title. But they didn't really work out that way. Yeah, it was his most consistent year. He only had two DNFs across the year, which was quite big mm. for him. I think he took a big step in, in being able to that, s- keep it rubber side down. Yeah, that is a huge leap in itself. Just keeping the thing on track and finishing the races, um, you know doesn't even matter if you finish lower in the points. Just bring it home. Don't bin the thing six, seven races in a year, cost your team thousands and thousands of pounds in repair bills. Um, keep it rubber side down. Keep that consistency. Because even if your contract's coming to the end of its life and you've not done that well, if people can look at a piece of paper and go, right, he doesn't crash. He can finish consistently. That's far better than looking at a piece of paper and saying, Christ, this guy bins it every other race. That's it. And arguably, if you, you, you say, like, just costing money doing that, but you're costing yourself points, aren't you? If you can finish exactly. 15th in seven races rather than crash, you're going to score seven more points in the championship. Seven points may not seem like, like a lot, but seven points can win or lose a championship. And, and even more so when you get down to the lower, you know, the 10th to 20th oh God, place, yeah. seven points is a big chunk of points across a year. Like, that could be the difference between 19th and 12th. Like, it's a big chunk of points. Yeah. That is a, a potentially seven places higher in the championship. Exactly. Um, you know, that's a huge leap, a massive leap. And like you say, when you start getting down to the lower end of the table, um, all the points you can get matter. Um, you know, so a big, big leap. doesn't matter if it's not setting the world on fire. He's made a huge step up, yeah. just keeping the rubber side down. That's it, exactly. So he took four podiums across the year. Uh, all of them were in the latter half of the year, uh, but two of them were wins. Yeah. So 50% of oh, the podiums were wins, so that's a good chunk of points. 
Um, and he did finish I... the season sixth on 190 points. So it's still a step forward. It's still, you know, exactly. 43 points further and, and a whole place further than the year before. So he's still making the progression. Like it's it's taken yeah. a while. And it's almost like, and actually this is an interesting point, is we all criticised Alex Marquez for being a real slow burn in Moto2. He took a long time to win the title. Uh, Luca Marini is no different. He was in no. Moto2 for a long time before he became a title challenger. It's that slow burn. And maybe this is maybe this is a thing we're kind of ignoring in motorcycle racing recently, is we're just paying attention to the Mark Marquez's, to, to the Johan Mears, to the guys that can come in, smash it, do it early, move on. We're not giving time to those. And clearly we are giving them some time, but we're slating them in the media for doing so. Like for for taking three or four years to win in one of the most competitive classes in the world, and we're all sitting here on our sofas like, well, he's taken four years to win in in Mo Two. Mo Two is one of the most the hardest things you could ever try and win in the in your life. It takes you four oh. years. It takes you four fucking years. At least you can do it. Like we're, we're very critical, but these slow burn riders are making it through, and they are making it to MotoGP. So maybe we need to pay more attention to them. I think in recent years we've got used to. A bit of a smash and grab, haven't we? Um, you know, look at Marquez, what he did in Moto2, um, mm. and then suddenly makes that step up to MotoGP, and it's just phenomenal. He's on another page. We've seen that for a lot of the classes. Um, you know, and when when someone like Marquez steps up onto the big stage and sets the world on fire, they set a benchmark for everyone else to follow. It doesn't matter if it's in the same class or not. Um they set the president, which then becomes the standard and the norm. And everyone else is expected to meet that same standard. Yeah. And when they don't, um, they get criticized for it, which isn't fair. You know, people learn at different rates. I learn pretty slow. It takes me a little while of looking at things to work it out. Some things I can work out better and quicker. Um, but, but these guys, like you say, really aren't given the chance. You know, it's like, come in, do it or leave it. Um, you know, and we see now a few people come in, take the time, go about their business, learn, develop, do, move on. Nothing wrong with that at all. It's just we've all of a sudden we live in an unfortunate era where we've got a few people who are just phenomenal and set that bar very high. And I think it's sort of always been that way, hasn't it? But it's more obvious now. Because even if you go back yeah. to like the Danny Pedrosa, Jorge Lorenzo era, like Jorge Lorenzo mm. was amazing this first season, but very, oh, very crashy. So yes. maybe the point is that these guys who are super fast, and Mark Marquez, I guess, is kind of, he's always been quite crashy, but never crashed in races too much, um, aside no. from 2015. And, you know, that fateful yeah. crash in 2020. But he, he's very crashy in practice. But maybe it's better to let these guys get the crashiness out in Moto3, in Moto2. And then when they come to MotoGP, they're kind of the complete package. They've just got, you know, they, they'll still have stuff to learn, but not as much stuff to learn. And, and we saw it with Jack Miller. Jack Miller jumped from Moto3, where he was quite crashy, but a championship contender. And he appeared in MotoGP. And I mean, it's taken him, uh, what, six years to get on a factory machine? And most people's MotoGP career isn't six years. He's lucky to, that he's this, he's lucky that he's good enough. Yeah that people have been able to spot that and be like, oh, give him time, he'll grow. Because he didn't have that time in the lower mm. classes. Maybe it's better to let the guys, do the Luca Marini, the Alex Marquez, grow in the lower classes. And then when they appear in MotoGP, they do an Alex Marquez. It only takes them half a season to get on the podium. Yeah, that's a good point. Really good point. And like talking about people crashing on like free practice and qualifying, 
we see it very much in Marquez. He he goes straight out and pushes it to the limit, which is a tactic. Um, mm. You know, push it to the limit. Find where the limit is on every single corner. Remember it. Jot it down. If you come out and we riders do this style of um, tactic as well, they come out and they start slowly and they progressively build up to Sunday. Um, you know, that's okay. That's an absolutely plausible and doable scenario. But you don't find that limit until Sunday. Mm. You know, Marquez comes out and he almost goes the other way. He comes out, hits it hard Friday, crashes a lot, doesn't crash so much Saturday, and he's got all of his crashes out of him by Sunday. And he knows the limit on every single corner and knows what he can do. He's got his race set up. Um, you know, it's the yin and the yang. It depends how you want to play it. Um, personally, I'd rather be a Marquez um, and find out my limit beforehand and not jeopardise my race. But, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that kind of makes a good point. And, and you're saying, like, find your limit before the race, because that's the best way to do it. That's a technique that's only worked in the last five years, five, six, oh, seven gotcha. years of MotoGP, because the, the crash protection has been there. Like, we've got airbags, the leathers are great, your helmets are great, your boots, all your safety gear is amazing now. The tracks are safer now than they've ever been. So this is a strategy mm. that works now. It never used to work. I think if it was me, I'd like to think I'd come out of it as this kind of balls to the wall, let's go Marquez character. But I know myself well enough to know I'm not that kind of guy. And I know, I think, I don't know people well enough. That's a ridiculous thing to say. But I think most people would be closer to the let's try not to crash and just see how far we can get. Oh, the back slipped out a little way. Pull it back, pull it back. Let's, let's, we know where it's going to slide. We'll keep it there. Whereas Marquez will push it further and it's arguably the faster way of doing it, but it goes against human psychology, I think. Human psychology says, keep it safe, stay on two wheels, go as fast as you can on two wheels, but you never lose the two wheels. They're the important thing. I think you have got to have a couple of screws loose to ride the way he does. 100%. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've had some wiggly moments on the road and your first instinct is to back it off and shit yourself. Yeah. Um, not pin it and see how far you can launch yourself. Um, obviously, road riding is completely different to track. He's got full airbag suits and no trees to hit or Mrs. Jones's car. Um, you know, it's a different ball game. But it's still the psychology of it, isn't it? It's still, it doesn't matter whether you're riding on the road at 70 miles an hour or you're riding at a track at 160 miles an hour. The ground, when you look at it, is going fucking quickly and your instinct is do not hit that ground. Um, I remember seeing an interview with, I think it was John McGuinness. It was about the Isle of Man TT and it's as they come over, is it Bray Hill, where they get air every time? Um, Oh, yeah. And he's saying on that, like sometimes you get mega, mega like tank slapper and he's like, you fix it by keeping it pinned and keeping your weight down. He's like, if you let go, you're going to crash. He's like, you've got to keep it pinned. And that is something that it must take a really, really long time to to adjust oh, I... in your mind to like the bikes go in. You and I, and I think ninety nine percent of people who have ever ridden a oh, motorbike, if not less. more, will go. Oh, the the rears go in. Let it off. You know, pull the clutch in. Maybe just drop the throttle. Like just let it slow. It will bring itself back. The guys that are amazing and the guys that are the fastest guys in the world are the guys that go. We could do that. But the best way to deal with this is to keep it pinned, keep your weight down, and you're still going to get your lap time, and you're definitely not going to crash. Aye, oh, not good. Not a good way of thinking. 
but a way of surviving. Mm. Um, anyway, we, we went uh, quite off topic there, I think. So let's bring it back. We did uh, go a little bit. Uh, I've completely forgotten where we were. Uh, we were on. Uh, we'd, we'd covered 2019. You finished sixth with 190 points. It was another That's step it. forward. So we bring it to last year now. We call it 2020 year of the COVID. Uh, <laughs> year one of the COVID. The um, COVID connection. The, the COVID. That would be a great band name, Steve. You could start a really good rap metal band called the COVID Connection. You'd be a bit Papa Roach, a bit like uh, Lincoln Park, a bit of Limp Biscuit thrown in there. That'd be great. The COVID Connection. Mm-hmm. I'd enjoy that. Uh, not relevant though. So, 2020. If this we see was... a band pop up next year called the COVID Connection, I'm going to be. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be demanding royalties our way. <laughs> But he will. I pinned that first. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, 2020. Uh, so this was kind of the breakout year we expected um, that, that 2019 was going to be for Marini. Um, he was yeah. doing good. He kind of he he looked on for the title. To be fair, for the first nine races, he, he scored three wins and two further podiums. Um, right. He was he was leading the title. Everything looked it looked rosy. It was looking good. You're like, wait, we're yeah. like Mini Marquez has done it. Now we're going to see Mini Rossi do it. This is mental. Um, and then Le Mans happened, and that big yeah. big crash. That was a biggie. Um, ended up damaging his ankle, didn't he? Um, that is essentially what put pay to it, without shadow of a doubt. If he hadn't had that incident. He would have gone on to win the title. I'm sure I'm, of it. I'm certain of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I think yeah. if it wasn't for that crash, then and that was during qualifying, it was wet. Uh, big high side, smashed his ankle up. Um, he did come back and do, finish that race. Well, he raced that race. He finished seventeenth, um, and it was actually oh. his first non-top ten finish of the season. He had crashed in the first race of the year at Qatar, which I guess he's looking back at now. Like fuck, if I'd have just scored, you know, <laughs> nine points, if I'd have scored in the top four or five out of one. So that's pretty annoying, actually. I hadn't thought about that. That's infuriating. Um, yeah. If you start looking at it that way and you start looking back in hindsight what you could have done and then this happens, you get this crash come in and you're just like, shit, if only, if only. This is why and I could never be a play. professional racer because I would have spent the whole no. time looking back at the scoreboard like, fuck, why did I crash it then? Why did I put it in the gravel then? Why did I do this? If I'd have just got one place higher then, I could have won. There's so many scenarios that you could still have won, but they oh, didn't play out. <laughs> no, you didn't win it. And this is what motorcycle riders are pretty good at. Some of them is leaving it in the past and moving on to next week. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like you said... You've got to have that mental strength to just push through. You've got to pin it to get through it. Yeah, that's it. That's you've got to pin it to get through it. That's a great slogan. You've got to pin it to get through it. Maybe I'll throw that in at the rest of the slogans at the end of the show. Um, Do it. So Marini wouldn't discover his form again until the end of the season. Um, it was only five rounds later, to be fair. But uh, it, <laughs> it took him, though, until Portimao to score another podium. And he scored second place there. Um, oh yeah, I forgot about that actually. Made that in the notes earlier. I forgot how long it actually took him to build his steam back up. Yeah, because um, he looked dead set, didn't he? And I guess if it was like Bastianini had been pretty consistent all year, Sam Lowe's went on that tear and scored just three on, on the bounce and one. just took seventy-five yeah. points like that, uh, which put him in the championship fight. Um, and and this was all at the point where Marini was suffering and recovering from this injury, so everyone else oh. could take advantage of the scenario. 
Yeah. Um, I, I've forgotten all about that. And then I read it in your notes. I was like, shit, yeah. <laughs> such a, not for Marini, but for the for a championship point of view and for viewing pleasure. It was such a good few races in a year because they're all going on. Yeah, Marini suffering, people closing up the gap. Like you say, Sam Lowe's. Um, oh, God. Riders Navy won the championship. Bastianini in there, that's it as well. Um, all just but even Bezeki, you're right. Bezeki went on a tear as well, and Bezeki won a race. Like Bezeki, arguably, could have won the I championship did. if he hadn't have crashed out one of the races. Sam Lowe's won. Like it was yeah. Moto Two was a really good season last year. It was, it was. If we'd had a couple more races, um, it would have been so good. It was so good anyway. Um, but like all three championships last year were just incredible. Yeah. Um, Moto Two, I think, was probably the best. Oh, I don't um, know. It's hard to say MotoGP wasn't the best. It's one of the the rare years where you'd be like MotoGP could have been the best championship across it because I don't. I think actually, actually, even Moto, all three of them were great. They were really good. Even Moto E was quite fun. But MotoGP, Moto Two, Moto Three were really, really good championships. They were. We've not had across the board a season like this in a long time. No, um, that's fair. I, you know, normally we get a runaway winner either it's the Marquez. Or one of the Moto Two boys, Moto Three boys, will go on a tear and pull out a big lead, and they've racked it up two or three rounds early. Um, we don't see championships like this every year. No, um, no, we certainly don't. Bloody wish we did, um, <laughs> because it would be epic. We'd be coming to the end of the year absolutely exhausted for watching them. God knows what they must think. Yeah, uh, quite. you know, our last podcast would be like, "Fuck it, we're having a six month break." <sighs> I think our last podcast of this year was very similar, or of last season was very much like that. I'm pretty certain I was saying I'm ready for a break now. I could do with a week we or two did. to chill. I, I think we we didn't give ourselves a break, did we? We kept recording. Uh, but I can remember being really, really burnt out because there was just so much going on. And I remember pinging you so many texts. I was trying to remember everything that had gone on across all three races. And it was actually, I don't know how anyone else who produces MotoGP podcast felt well, I felt there was so much going on I couldn't contain it all I kept forgetting stuff and get stuff mixed up because there's too much to remember yeah. and I'm not one to write massive scripted notes down we just fly off the hip and when it came to remembering individual snippets of information it took me longer to remember it than it ever has done before um, just because there was such volume of it you know? yeah that's but, fair and I think if we felt like that um and bear in mind, we are just kind of enthusiasts. We just, we just, we love motorbike racing. We watch motorbike racing. We we love talking about it, and we thought we'd just try and record our conversations and see what happens. Um, but imagine if you worked as a profession within the media doing this, and they must be really burnt out. And then take it one step further. Imagine if you work within a team or as a fucking rider in this in this season. Like you must be fucked by the end of the year. Like I don't think you and I can even imagine how knackered these guys must be by the I... not only the rider the entire crew the entire team must be fucked by the end of this year surely I'm, I'm sure last year every single team member team rider person involved in that paddock come Portimao was ready just to go home you know it was such a compact awkward little year with covid travel restrictions um quarantines covid testing was coming out um you know isolation for getting to rounds border crossings imagine being someone in logistics who's got to move everyone mm. um headache i reckon 
I don't know how many people are, but I reckon half the paddock must have taken up smoking. <laughs> uh, the other half probably ended the season with an alcohol problem. Uh, <laughs> you know, probably popping pills as a coping mechanism. Yeah. I'd, 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 I'd have been doing all three. You're like, fuck, we've got to be where next week? Where is the Valium? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's me on a normal week, man. Most put me in that stressful scenario of being like uh, in the MotoGP paddock. Oh, uh, I, I, last year more than ever, I really, really wish we had access to the paddock with there. So, you know, every year we say this, love to be in the paddock, love to be in the paddock. But last year was such a phenomenally crazy year that, we are going to see again this year, I'm sure of it. Mm. Um, you know, a normal year, I'm sure, would be quite relaxed. But can you imagine the tension in the paddock of a new face turning up on a race weekend? You've got in, everyone's got you checked, but you've got that paranoia in the air over COVID. You know, add that into the mix. No one wants to be near you. You're a reporter. You want to, an interview, and all of a sudden, you've got all this shit to deal with. Yeah, and you've never worked in a scenario like this before, so the whole no. thing's new. It's like, it's, I, I just can't even imagine being there, man. It must have been weird for everyone involved. I um, hats off to him. You all did a fantastic job. Thank you for the entertainment. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, the season in Moto2 ended um, with Luke Marini finishing second place overall. He scored 196 points, which was exactly the same points tally as Sam Lowe's. So we go count back. Shit, they had the same amount of wins. Great, what a fucking season. It came down to second places, Steve. Second places. How good is I... that? And Luke Marini had scored more second places uh, than Sam Lowe's. Um, and in the end, he was only nine points shy of Bastianini for the title. Wow. That's close. You know, we've seen closer in the past, not very often. Um, but, to, you know... The way that season ended was just dramatic, enthralling, satisfying and heartbreaking all at the same time. That is a great, great description of it, Steve. I cannot put it better. So I'm just going to move on to 2021 because I think you've summed it up beautifully. Thank you. Uh, 2021, we see Luca Marini moving to the VR46 Avintia Ducati bike. It's with the Avintia squad. <laughs> Confusing here. It's with mm. the Avintia squad, yet he's being paid by Ducati because he's on a Ducati contract, yet sponsored by the <laughs> VR46 Academy. So he's on a VR46 liveried bike. Who knows what the fuck is going on with this team? I do not, Steve. I don't know if you do. I don't think anyone does. I don't think Luca knows. I think it's all made up. Valentino Rossi might literally be the only person that knows what the fuck is going on with his brother's contract. I I really don't know. And as you heard earlier in the show, I was getting confused by riders, what bikes they're on. That's going to happen a lot this year, so I'm going to apologise for that already. (laughs) Uh, That's going to happen a lot. I'm going to get some notes and some pictures put in front of me so I know who's who. Um, <laughs> we'll order you a canvas with everyone I'm like, gonna have and to. arrows it'll be like a 12 foot long canvas so we can get some light script on there and we'll be writing notes on it as oh, well something's gonna have to happen because i'm gonna get wrong i was looking in here the other day where i sit we record this podcast is in my like extension conservative bit and there's a very convenient flat wall opposite me and i thought right i could get some pictures up there because really it's only this avintia esperama whatever 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 team <laughs> one day you'll learn to say this name properly as well <laughs> i know esponsorama there we go nailed it it's only taken an hour and a half of recording tonight but we got there in the end <laughs> i can say it properly i just don't because it annoys the hell out of me <laughs> um yeah anyway i'm gonna get some pictures put up there i'm gonna have luca over there 
Sebastian Eni there, somebody else there, somebody else there, in all their glory, and it will just have the titles of where they race and who they work for, and I'm not going to get it wrong. Ish. I cannot wait until I can finally come to your house again, Steve, and see these full-size, like, cardboard cutouts of, like, all the riders. <laughs> they wouldn't last long, because the boys would draw over them. Sarah would probably just spend the entire time looking at whoever. Um, <laughs> I'll be in there just sneaking Morbidelli out for later. I was then going to say, Frankie, you'd, like, Frankie would disappear. Like, Where the fuck's Frankie gone? Tim. <laughs> Exactly. So, uh, who do you reckon, Steve, out of Bastianini and uh, and Luca Marini here? Um, they're both on year old Ducati, so it's quite hard to compare what they're going to do compared to Jaime Martin, who is obviously the other uh, the other rookie for the year. But out of the two of them here, we, they're in the same team. They're essentially they are on the same bike. They're both yeah. on year old Ducatis. They've just got different liveries. Right. What's your prediction for performance? I know we're going to do a prediction show before the end of the year, but just fire away one name, no explanation at all. Who's going to finish further ahead, Marini or Bastianini? Bastianini. Oof. I'm going Marini on that Ooh. front, but we'll oh, have like that discussion in our prediction show. They're, they're similar. They're very. Look at last season. They're very similar. Oh no 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 no! Yeah, wait. Wait. <laughs> I was like, I'm sure we just said we weren't going to do yeah. this, and here we are doing it. I'm very confused. <laughs> I, I just saw your hand come up with the screen. I was like, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's that's pretty much the end of the show, Steve. Um, there's a couple of bits to go on and, and chat about because you know we haven't spoken for long enough tonight, and I'm sure those of you listening aren't quite bored of us yet. Um, I I would be bored of me now, but uh, but I'm sure I had... everyone gets bored of us. They just put up with us because they you know they're dedicated. I think the only person that doesn't get bored of us might be me when I'm a bit drunk. I think that's a lot of my problem in life, Steve, is I get a bit drunk and I think everyone wants to listen to me talk when in reality they really don't. And I, and I know it and I'm announcing it and I can't help but continue. It's a, it's an affliction. What can I say? It, it, people listen. People listen. A small minority of the world's population listen to us rabbit on about a passion, life in general, our tangents, me getting riders' names confused. Um, yeah, we'll see yeah. how many people get through that part of the early phase, phase of the podcast. They were like, nah, yeah, we, not listen to these guys. They ain't got a fucking clue. <laughs> yeah, who is he on about? I ain't got a fucking clue. Um, make it to the end. What we should really have is like timestamps in the description. And the first bit of this show, we'd like Steve gets it wrong. 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 And then you can I mean, I think forward. I could do that. It's just a lot of effort and I'm not going to. No, I've looked at how you put timestamps in and it is a bit of effort. Yeah. Because then you've got individual descriptions on what each timestamp piece is. And, ugh. Yeah, I think we can do it reasonably simply, to be fair. I don't think it's too much work, but it's also more work than I'm going to put in. So we're not going to worry about that. Um, right. So continuing anyway, Steve, uh, last week we had a discussion briefly about uh, how much younger the grid is now than it was 20 years ago. Mm. So I went in and did a bit of a maths here and I added up some ages and did some division and worked out some averages. And my mind was blown, Steve. I've already sent you the notes, annoyingly, so you can see the numbers in front of you. But uh, in 2001, the average age of the grid was 24.4 years old. In 2021, the average age of the grid is 26.3 years old. Even if you remove Valentino Rossi, the the great-grandfather at this point compared to the rest of them, the average age only drops down to 25.6. So we were banging on about how, how much younger the grid must be now. It's actually two years older. Even without Valentino Rossi, it's still a year and a bit older than the grid was in 2001. 
which really blew I, my mind. And I did the math twice because I did not quite believe what I was working out. Um, I saw this bit in your notes and I was like, this can't be right. This cannot be right because these guys have got to be far younger. And then I also did a little bit of research on it when you said it to me earlier, a very quick bit. And yeah, you are damn right. I cannot believe it. We look at some of these baby face characters coming through and it's like, you're so young. Yeah. You're so young. My theorem, I come up with a little theorem, is the average age, like I say, 2001, 24 years old, right? They didn't hang around long. Yeah, I was wondering about this. I wonder if you're right, and this thought crossed my mind too, and I was, can I be fucked? No, I really can't. But it would be interesting to go back and see whether the longevity of career has changed over each over each season. So in 2001 was an average career only five years, whereas now is it yeah. eight years or something? Yeah. Yeah, that was exactly my trade of thought as well. Um, back in the day, should we say, the careers weren't quite as long or you moved on and you were replaced mm. quicker. Now, look at Rossi's career. He's been around forever. Um, longevity seems to be the key. Um, you know, there, there are the odds and no doubt will have been the odd exception in the past. Uh, but the majority of the grids, if you went back and looked at team changes, people who came and went out of the MotoGP in the past, I'm sure the numbers would be very different to what they are today. Mm. Um, that's my theory. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm with you on mm. that one, I think um so let's continue i've got a uh we we had another question uh well question email from edward again um, we did and it, edward actually made a really good point this was back onto the suzuki vr46 rumors um right. and, and this is something i hadn't actually considered but he, he was asking what we thought about the fact that um whether the suzuki vr46 deal is already done um or at least looking very likely, because Rossi wasn't allowed to take his crew with him to, to the Sepang racing team, the Patronus team. Uh, no. and, and Rossi has always had a, a lot of power in to, to move his crew around with him where he went, he took his crew. But he wasn't allowed to do that this time. No. And I mean, the kind of the public message, and this is a message I got behind initially, was, is that just because the Patronus squad don't want to be pushed around by Rossi? They're a new team. They, they've already they've won a shitload of races. Mm-hmm. They've had Quadraro. They've got Morbidelli. They're doing good. They don't want to be pushed around by Rossi. So they want to keep their guys. They don't want to lay their guys off. And, and that is the kind of the rhetoric I got behind. That made a lot of sense to me. But what Edward said uh, was that maybe the Yamaha know that Valentino and the VR46 squad are going to be running factory Suzuki's in the next year or two. Maybe Yamaha don't want Rossi's crew to know what the latest Yamaha is. Maybe they don't want Rossi's crew to be able to take the information from the latest Yamaha in a year or two over to a satellite Suzuki squad. And I hadn't thought of this at all. But the more I think about it, the more I think Edward might be onto something here. I think he could be as well. Um, it's a few sort of few years ahead, should we say, um, and in thinking. I think I think you could have hit something on the head here. Um, I think you could be ha- aiming towards that nail because um, it all does kind of slot into place. We see it in sports where people will snap up the best rider as a second rider just to stop another team from having it. Mm. Um, you know, this does make a lot of sense, and I'm wondering if that is almost absolutely correct. Yeah. I'm wondering if things have been spoken about. Um, 
and Yamaha actually know what the future is going to hold. Uh, it's only a couple of years away. It's not that far away. Um, and it would be perfectly plausible that they would not want the VR46 by, uh, guys to be able to take that latest information away. Um, you know, you want every advantage you can get yeah. um, in this sport. And if you know you can get a little bit ahead by doing a certain thing, do it. And they will do it. Yeah. Um, and like you say, Rossi's always had a lot of power. And when he moved into Ducati, we saw Burgess go with him. A lot of his mechanics went with him and then followed him back to Yamaha as well. Um, it's a very unusual move for Rossi not to take all his guys with him. And when it came to Rossi signing for Patronas, there was a big delay with contracts. And we said a lot of it, uh, we were told a lot of it was over Rossi not being able to take his people with him, mm. which would tie in with this Suzuki VR46 idea of them not taking uh, the latest information with him. So I am on Edward's side here. I think he's um, got something. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think this is a a bad theory to have at all. I'm kind of coming down on the fence. I don't really know one way or the other because I was very behind the idea that Petronas just didn't want to be pushed around. I was very behind the idea that this was just Rossi. And it, a, a very obvious sign that Rossi had just lost the power that he had mm -hmm. four or five years ago in the paddock. Um, yeah. But I hadn't even considered the options that Edward has, has voiced here. So, uh, no, that really good. Really yeah. good points. Yeah, um, so I don't know. I guess it's a, a wait and see. I think we'll find out sooner rather than later. I think we're going to know what's happening with VR46. We're going to know what's happening with the Suzuki Satellite Squad by the summer break, I imagine. Yeah, I think so. I did wonder as well whether this Marini VR46 Ducati is a little bit of um, dipping your big toe in the North Sea, which is pretty damn cold, and um, just seeing what happens, um, yeah. you know. It's Suzuki. the Italian dream team part two, isn't it? They tried yeah. once, they fucked it. Let's see if we can do it again. Yeah, now you've produced a better bike. Let's see what happens here. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, Suzuki desperately need a satellite team. But do they? They won the title. They came first I, I, and third without one. I know, but they could also be first, first and second, third and fourth. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's fair. You know, why not? Why not? Um... It's a really tough one. I'd love to see some four Suzuki's on the grid. And can you imagine the power deals? Um, Suzuki with a VR46 backed team. Well, quite. It would be. It would certainly be something fun to see. And I think we'll know soon enough, won't we? It's I not going to we'll be know. long until we find out. I think we'll know by the end of next year. Oh, it'll be way before the end of next year. I think we'll know by the summer break. You reckon? Yeah, yeah. Well, because it will be next year that these things are going to be happening, won't it? Oh, of course it will. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course it will. Didn't think of that. Ooh, ooh. Something to think about. All the yeah. good things to look forward to. Exactly. Uh, Edward also shared. I I couldn't not put this in, Steve, because this blew my mind. Edward also shared with us a a picture of 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 the lorry he drives around, which might be one of the biggest things I've literally ever seen in my life. I I cannot wrap my head around how anyone can possibly drive one of these road trains. Uh, it's longer than my house like it's insane. longer than any house I've ever lived in I, I, I just cannot wrap my head around try, I can't even drive with a I was driving a uh, drive, ride on a lawnmower the other day with a trailer because I've never driven with a trailer before and I thought it was a fun place to learn so I was like I was trying to do my reversing manoeuvres trying to get it around the trees you know having a bit of fun in the garden nah couldn't do it for shit and then I go and then I go onto Facebook and see that Edward has shared with us this picture of this like lorry with like three other lorry trailers on the back of it and like well he Absolutely makes me insane. Like you know we 
we get these kind of things on the Discovery Channel, Ed. Like, <laughs> you know, Outback Truckers or whatever it is, and there's you hauling one. You know, we see this shit on the telly. Didn't expect to meet someone who actually drives one. And yeah, I feel a little fanboy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always watch Deadliest Catch, but I'm now downloading, like, Outback Truckers again. Um, <laughs> it was nuts. Absolutely insane. You know, I picture... Aussie trucks as one of those flatback. Uh, what do they call them? The Utes. That's it. Utes pickups, not a four or five trailer, bloody insanely long cruiser. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it kind of blew my mind a little bit. Um, as well. What else do we have? Uh, Steve, did you see my thing? I shared this in the Facebook group, guys. So if you get in there, you'll Facebook. see it. I'm really plugging this, man. Um, yeah. Did you see the Motobot thing that I shared in there? Yes, I'd seen something about that not so long ago. Uh, but I never did have time to properly sort of look into it. Then you shared it, and I was just like, Jesus. A um, little bit scary. Mate, it's not long, is it? Like, Valentino Rossi's acting needs some work. Let's it just does. put that out yeah. there. That, stick to the work. motorbike racing, because acting is not for him. But no. the idea that that kind of fucking robot can just be dropped onto any motorbike uh, and go, like, that's scary, and that thing that will within the next three or four years, be lapping faster than Valentino Rossi, I have no doubt. Uh, Wow. It blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, Tim will back me up on this. You know I'm a bit of a technophobe. Um, I like carburetors over fuel injection. Um, Seeing that actually scares me a little bit. (laughs) Oh, it's going all Skynet on us. (laughs) It is going all Skynet on us. You know, we put you and Crutchlow together and we've got a T-1000. Exactly, um, then throw Motorbot into the mix. Maybe oh, Motorbot is Crutchlow for the next uh, Yamaha Test Rider role. It might be. You know, when he left LCR, they just peel the skin off him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> grim. <laughs> Sorry, Crutchlow. Uh, yeah, that kind of thing does scare me a little bit. It's interesting to see where technology's going, but just the thought, like you say, that that could be dropped on any motorcycle and it can just do it. It's amazing. It's Part of me nuts. watches it in like this, oh my God, this is amazing. I cannot believe this robot can ride a normal, I say a normal, it's an R1M, like it's still a top spec bike, but a normal bike, a road going bike, it can just be dropped on, bolted on, good to go, nothing else. And it blows my mind that it can do it, it can ride it. And I think it's amazing. I think it's such a feat of technology. And then I go, oh my God, robots are going to kill us all. Yeah, literally, I do exactly the same thing. The first time I saw that, um, the first thing that pops up into my head was the Robo Terminators in Terminator Salvation. Okay, I, it's the been a very one. long time since the first time I watched Terminator Salvation, which was the last time I watched Terminator Salvation. Anywho, motorcycle Terminators were guns. Okay, that's my kind of Terminator. Yeah, but scary. Yeah, that's fair. And it is. It's one of those things. It's amazing. It's certainly worth a watch. If you're not going to join the Facebook group, plug it again, um, then just Google Yamaha's Motorbot. You'll find the videos. It's astounding what they've been able to do. And I think it's just going to get better and better. Yeah, yeah. Um, I loathe the day that we get one on the grid. It would be a weird series, I think. I imagine there will be, because there was always talk of Robo Race, which was going to be a support race for Formula E. Uh, yep. which was cars. And, uh, you know, maybe that will happen in the next 10 years. I don't think uh, robot motorcycle races are more than 20 years away. 
whether no. or not they'll ever compete with humans, I don't think that's ever going to happen because I think by the time they're fast enough to compete with humans, they're going to be way, way better than humans. But I think it will be an interesting thing. You'll see different groups of coders and programmers. It will be like the Yamaha programmers against the Honda programmers, and it will be a fun thing going on. I think it will be good. Right, the Code X showdown, should we call that? It will be something like, yeah, Moto Code. Oh, scary as hell. Um, don't like it. Stop it. Yes, that's fair enough. We'll stop it. Steve, it's been long enough. Let's just stop it, shall we? We'll stop the show today. We've dragged it on. I need a wee. So let's uh, kill it there. Um, If you guys have got anything at all you want to share with us and you don't want to join the Facebook group to do so, which does upset me, but it's your choice, guys. It's your life. You do what you like with it. So uh, if you don't want to join us there, but you still want things to share with us, you can find us on... We are on Facebook. We have a page and a group, new group, if you haven't heard. Um, <laughs> come and join. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. We are for the love of MotoGP. Or drop us an email at for the love of MotoGP.com. At Gmail. That's the, oh, shit. That's the first time. Like, you, you nailed this for so many weeks in a row. I almost stopped listening while you're doing the spiel because no, I'm like, he's got it. I know. I don't have to worry about it. But that time you missed it, Steve. It's for the love of MotoGP at gmail.com. That's because I didn't do it in the right order. I wanted to get my plug in for the Facebook group. And fuck <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. So close. <laughs> Next week, I'm having it next week you'll nail it mate no doubt uh and guys do us a solid leave us a review please that would be great and we will stop taking up any more of your time so thank you very much guys i we've just discussed i had another little uh tag to add to the outro and i can't remember what it was do you remember what it was steve no no so we'll go with the usual guys stay safe look after each other elbow bumps fist bumps and remember Mask it or casket, guys. Look after each other. We'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Take care, guys. Music is by Andrew Greenwood. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.